So here we're looking at beginning in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. If you turn there, we'll begin in verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter. He moves from talking about widows that we talked about last week to talking about elders uh, who are also uh, pastors uh, of churches. And he says in verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. So I've titled the, the message today, Supporting Elders and Shepherding the Church, uh, because this is the responsibility uh, of elders to do this. And the first thing that we see here is the showing appreciation for church leaders. He says in verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. And so just as the church is to show honor and respect toward widows, as we looked at last week, so the church is to show honor and respect toward church leaders as well. Um, how do we do that? We do that by recognizing their oversight of the ministry we appreciate their oversight of the ministry. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that whoever desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It is a great work. And when here he uses the term double honor, some think that means double pay, but it doesn't really mean that. I think there's two things here. One is that they are considered worthy or deserving of honor and respect. That's one of the honors they are given is they are worthy of deserving honor and respect. They deserve recognition and appreciation for their work that they do. It is right and honorable to recognize their efforts. That's what he's saying. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. It was kind of, I'm sure, a tongue-in-cheek comment uh, when this uh, particular church had the food committee, uh, told Pastor Wells, remember next week is our pastor appreciation dinner. Tell your wife we have her down for a meat, a dessert, a gallon of tea, and a bag of rolls. <laughs> I'm sure it was tongue-in-cheek uh, in saying that. But we recognize their oversight of ministry. Secondly, there is a second, he talks about a double honor, by compensating their effort with financial support. Now there were times that the Apostle Paul chose not to take support and he built tents 
but he said he was certainly deserving of support. And so what does he say here? He says, the scripture says in verse 18, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. So the first phrase, do not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain, actually comes from an Old Testament verse in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And it is also quoted in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9, and it's simply saying that the ox is deserving of its sustenance. It works, and therefore it should be fed. And seeing how much more, if we do that for an animal, should we do that for a ministry uh, leader? He's worthy of being rewarded for what he does. If the ox did not do his job, then why feed him? But if he is doing his job, then he should be fed. In other words, you benefit the ox for benefiting you. Um, and so that's what he's saying here. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, If we have sown spiritual things among you, Paul said, it, is it too much if we reap material things from you? The second statement uh, that he gives here, he goes from talking about the ox, and then he talks about the worker deserves his wages. It's identical to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Um, for the laborer deserves his wages. And then in James chapter 5, it actually gives a warning uh, about not paying the laborer. Uh, it says in James 5, 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept you back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So the financial support is a tangible expression of the appreciation of the church for their leadership. And so, I mean, I think it's a, a wonderful thing. There was another uh, church board that was meeting with the pastor, and I'm sure this was also tongue-in-cheek. And they were asking the board, the pastor asked the board about a retirement plan. And the board admitted, they said, we don't have a retirement plan. No one ever wanted to be our pastor that long. <laughs> I thought that was, that was good. Um, but I, I do want to say that uh, Bethesda Church, I believe, takes care of our leaders. And I thank you for that. I think you are generous in what you're doing, so this is not a message to plead for more money. Um, but I want to say thank you for doing that. Um, and we feel appreciated because of that and, and cared for. So I want to say thank you uh, to do that. That's uh, certainly a biblical thing to do. And notice he goes back to say in verse 17 that they are well uh, of worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So we appreciate their investment in the body of Christ. They direct the affairs of the church well. They do it with diligence and labor with excellence. Uh, he says in Romans 12, 8, the one who leads does so with zeal or diligence. He puts it, his heart into it. The pastors along with the church boards are to steer the church in the direction it should go. Uh, training is vital in helping people develop their skills. You know, a captain of a ship is trained to become the captain of the ship. He doesn't just become the captain of the ship. 
he has to go through different stages of, of third mate, second mate, first mate. And he, then he graduates to become a captain of that ship. And it's important because what happens is a lot of captains can captain a ship when the seas are smooth. But what happens when it gets rough and there's a storm? He needs to have the experience of helping through the storm. And certainly the church in Ephesus had some storms. They had false teaching going on. And Timothy had to calm those storms and to be the leader that God called him to be to do that. And so we appreciate their investment in being able to do that and to correct the false teachers. Some, even the Bible says, had shipwrecked their faith. So they needed Timothy. They needed good leadership to bring the church to where it needed to be. We also appreciate their instruction. He talks about not only directing well the affairs of the church, but he said especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching. Preaching means to speak intelligently. It means to speak to the needs of the culture and the needs of the congregation. And that's why I bring messages on fathers and mothers and how we parent and marriage and family and all these different issues that we talk about in our culture that are so important. Um, the preaching appeals to the intellect as well as the conscience. We call people out of darkness into light, that they would come out of their sin and into the truth and into a life of holiness and righteousness in their lives. And secondly is teaching for the purpose of educating and instructing to impart knowledge and skill for living. We encourage evangelism and prayer and being godly. And then Paul makes an appeal in the very next verse, in verse 18, and he's really kind of tying it to the preaching and teaching. So he says, for the scripture says. And so he's bringing it back to scripture. And Paul, it's a familiar term that Paul uses. Why? Because the term for scripture is the same as the direct speaking of God. When we hear the scripture, we are hearing the voice of God. That's why we preach the word of God. We're hearing scripture. We're hearing the voice of God. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3, it says, What does the scripture say? In Romans 9, 17, For the scripture says to Pharaoh. Romans 10, verse 11, The scripture says. And so Paul uses this term a lot because that's where the authority is. It's in the scripture. It's not in me. It's not in you. It's in the authority of God's word. And we appreciate people who share the word of God with us. Then we go on to verse 19 and 20. He says, Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. So the second part of this is administering protection and correction of leaders as needed. The first one is protection, protecting elders. How do we do that? Well, the first one is unfounded accusations against a church leader should not allow, be allowed to be entertained. If someone comes with an accusation against a leader and they don't have sufficient witnesses and they don't have sufficient information, it should not be heard or listened to at all. It should be dismissed. That's what he's saying. And the reason that is is because many church leaders are under the scrutiny and criticism of so many people. 
They live in glass houses, and people expect, have expectations that cannot be met. There needs to be a sufficient amount of facts and evidence to testify to those facts before someone should be questioned or called on the carpet for their behavior. An example in 1 Samuel 24, verse 5, it says, Afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He recognized Saul as the king and as the leader, and he was struck with conviction for even cutting off a piece of his robe. In other words, he did not have the right or the authority to do that, and he was convicted uh, for doing that. In Psalm 105, verse 15, it says, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. So an unfounded accusation against a church leader should not be allowed or entertained. And when people have information that's two or three people removed, you probably don't have a very valid story. Oh, I heard someone say, or someone saw, and, and, and the next thing you know, they're off on hearsay and there's no validity to what they are saying. Secondly, though, valid accusations are to be handled in a serious manner. If there is a need to handle a valid accusation, we do handle it, but we do so in a serious manner. Serious accusations require sufficient information before Timothy could address an individual. Some people have a critical spirit. They're involved in gossip that has little to no facts, and they have no basis for their claims at all. And here's the advice of Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. It says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So it's saying you've got to have a sufficient number of witnesses, two or three witnesses to substantiate the facts and validate the facts that they are true. In 2 Corinthians 13.1, Paul says, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Let me give you an example. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. Preached in England. Charles Spurgeon and his wife, according to a story... <laughs> in the Chaplain magazine would sell but refuse to give away the eggs their chickens laid. Even close relatives were told, you may have them if you pay for them. As a result, some people labeled the Spurgeons greedy and grasping. They accepted the criticisms without defending themselves and only after Mrs. Spurgeon died was a full story revealed. All the profits from the sale of the eggs went to support two elderly widows. And they never defended themselves. People just assumed they knew what they were doing. And they didn't. So protecting elders is important. If there is an accusation that comes, it needs to be validated and handled biblically in a biblical way. Secondly is correcting elders. This is difficult. It is not easy to do, but it is necessary at times. And here, what does he say in verse 20? Now he's talking about elders. 
So he says, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Here, Paul is encouraging Timothy that if he has a church leader who is not, who is living in sin, blatant sin, they should be rebuked publicly because they're a leader so that the rest of the church body can take warning and make sure that they are walking in truth. If he has violated the qualifications of his position, and those are listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3, then he should be confronted publicly, he says, for the goal of keeping purity in the church. It is done out of love for God and the truth. It is done from a heart of obedience to what God has said. And when it happens, it sends a strong message to the other leaders as well as the congregation that we are accountable for our actions in what we do. We are accountable. And then he tells Timothy in verse 21, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. So he's saying only be committed to the truth and not favoring somebody over somebody else. Be able to handle it in an unbiased way. And then the third one, is that we are to exercise caution in choosing leaders. He says in verse 22, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now in Bible times, they would often lay their hands, which showed a transfer of authority, of power, and delegation to them to become a leader uh, in the church. That's what was often done. The laying on of hands. And here's what uh, Paul is saying to Timothy. Don't be in a hurry to place people in leadership. Why? Because you don't want to have to do the public rebuke. You don't want to have to correct something if you can help it ahead of time. A lot of damage is done when someone is placed in leadership who is not ready for leadership. People can pursue leadership for the wrong reason. They desire power, authority. They want an ego boost. They want the power and authority, but they have no servant leadership. There's no humility. There's no character to back it up. Paul is telling Timothy, make sure they have the character to back it up before you place your hands on them. They need to have a team mentality, a shared leadership. They are not glory hogs. We offer a blessing on this person, and we lay their hands on them when we see the faithfulness in their life, the integrity, the credibility and purity of their lives. They have demonstrated a love for God and his people uh, as well. I remember as a young pastor, after I was on staff a couple years, I put together, the way we did ordination was we put together a group of men, and they allowed me to pick a group of godly men, pastors, some of my former uh, professors, uh, from Liberty, we called a council together, and I had to write up my doctrinal statement of what I believed about the major doctrines of the Bible, my call to ministry. And then basically I gave them a copy, and they came in and began to ask me questions. I was in the hot seat, and they, they challenged me and really sharpened me and encouraged me. Uh, what do you believe about this? What about this? Um, 
I remember one, one of the questions, and I think it was uh, a bit done in humor, is they said, how many angels can you fit on the head of a pen? I said, I don't know, but I married one. <laughs> they said, oh, did you hear that heresy? <laughs> um, but anyhow, just being questioned by that, but in essence, they were placing their hands on me and giving me a vote of affirmation that I was ready for ministry. And that meant a lot. Coming from godly men further down the road, investing in me, and them being able to lay their hands on me and place me into the ministry. And so we don't want to be in a hurry in doing that. Um, and that's what he's telling Timothy. To lay hands on them is to give that delegation of authority and it needs to be done slowly and in the right way. And then he tells Timothy in verse 23, or actually, let me back up for a minute. Uh, when we talk about this whole idea of uh, rebuking, um, there was a, a single man who was in a congregation and he was behaving inappropriately toward women. Uh, he badgered women with unwanted phone calls and made comments that were not accurate or, or healthy. Uh, it was not done here. Um, the situation required rebuke. Um, and then if that wasn't effective, discipline. So the pastor learned about this. He said, and, he, and he pulled the man into his office and he said, I've been made aware that a number of women in our congregation are offended. Some are quite upset about what you have been doing. And he confronted him on making phone calls and making inappropriate comments to these women. The man cautiously admitted that there were truth some truth to what he said. And he said, I want you to hear me carefully and don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He said, I've thought about this for several days. I've asked God to give me wisdom and I want to speak in Christian love and respect to you. He said, but I want you to know I am one who has a responsibility for the spiritual leadership of this congregation. Your behavior has been unacceptable according to the scripture and the covenantal life of this church. People have been hurt and you've lost your credibility in their eyes. Christian men do not, as they say, hit on women. They treat them with respect and honor. And if you do not understand how this is done, he says, I'll be happy to team you up with a man who can provide instruction for you. He said, if there is one more instance of inappropriate behavior of this kind, I will immediately bring your name before the board of elders and ask them to put you under discipline. Have I made myself clear? The man assured me that he understood. The pastor said he concluded the meeting with prayer, acknowledging God's presence in the conversation. Later, he said that man took him up on his offer to connect him with a mature man who could provide guidance that he clearly had not received from other sources. And he said he never had a negative comment about the man from that time forward. That is a healthy rebuke. It's bringing someone into line with scripture so that they grow in their maturity. And that's really what a rebuke is all about. It's inviting someone to a higher level of spiritual maturity and being corrected.
We need godly men to serve in the church. God has called us who are imperfect, inadequate, unable to do his work without his strength and his power. And it's an opportunity for us to take inventory of our lives to say, am I that person? Am I being that kind of person? There was a man traveling on a train from Perth to Edinburgh, and all of a sudden, the train came to a dead stop because a very small screw in one of the engines had been broken. And he says, when we started again, we were obliged to crawl along with one piston rod at work instead of two. Only a small screw was gone. But he said, if the train had been right, they would have rushed along the iron road. But the absence of that insignificant piece of iron disarranged the whole. He says the analogy is perfect. A man in all other respects fitted to be useful may by some small defect be exceedingly hindered or even rendered utterly useless in the ministry because of one tiny defect. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, think about church leadership. Are you an encouraging voice to the leadership of the church? Do you support the pastors and elders, deacons of our church, by your words, by your actions? Paul is saying, the people who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. That there is an honor, there is a respect in what you do. I think the old saying is true that we should not judge another person until we've walked a mile in their shoes. But showing appreciation for church leaders, recognizing their oversight of authority, compensating them for the job that they, they do. And, and as I said, this church does it well. And I'm thankful for that. But appreciating their investment um, into your life. And then protecting our leaders as well against false accusations. And then God giving us grace and strength to bring correction when that is needed for the purpose of keeping God's church pure and exercising caution in choosing future leaders. That God would help us do that for the glory of his church, for the promoting of the gospel. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. 
or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.